Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kenny Pittman, alongside Justin Garcia of Bucks Radio right now, doing a fantastic job from Fiserv Forum. And by the way, I saw Justin, they had the floor down. They had the actual uh, the hardwood down. Is that, has that always been the case, or did they just do this for the second round? Um, I think they did that, geez, for the uh, Saturday game against the magic is when i think that went into effect because that was the game where they had about 250 people where you yeah. could buy a table and watch the game from inside fiserv forum so i think that's when they put the floor back down because for the first few games that we were going there yeah it was uh pretty bare bones yeah i, I thought it was strange i can't remember who put up might have been craig kashan that put a, a photo up on twitter that i noticed that uh and i i thought it was kind of interesting but as far as the radio coverage goes, we know Fox Sports Wisconsin is done now, but Justin is still there. Ted Davis is there. Zora Stevenson has joined the crew for the rest of the playoffs, I believe, as, as far as I read there. But uh, the Bucks are down 1-0 in the series. We know that. We went through this yesterday. They lost 115-104 in game one. The Bucks did practice today, uh, but described practice as... Very light, I, I think, was the words he used. A sort of a, a light run through. A lot of it was film. I think this is going to be the case largely throughout the series. They're playing every other day now. We know they had no real break in between the first and the second round, so that's to be expected. Eric Bledsoe is still going to be a game time decision again. He's listed as questionable, and and I don't know. I mean, Bud said that he got through practice. Justin, you were on the call as well, but it didn't seem like there was a lot to be uh, to be feeling optimistic about, as in he hasn't been te- able to test that hamstring out. And uh, I don't know. I mean, if I had to put money on it, I'm, I'm going to suggest he probably wouldn't play. But we will find out at game time. Perhaps the most interesting thing about the, the press conference or the call for mine was Wesley Matthews, because I, I think no doubt this was the big talking point out of this game. Why the hell was Wesley Matthews glued to the bench for the last 458? Justin, you had the tweet that uh, gained a, a fair bit of traction just in regards to Jimmy Butler scoring 11 of his 15 fourth quarter points in that time that Wesley was off the court. What, Matthews only played 23 minutes for the game. It was very, very strange. So after a bunch of questions about the rotation, I just simply said to Bud, is he healthy? Can you just clarify whether he is healthy? Because coming out of that game, my biggest concern was, sure, you can be concerned about Bud's rotation, and I, I still think now maybe those concerns are amplified. But thank goodness he's healthy because that would have been even a bigger concern. Disaster. It would have been a disaster if he would have answered uh, yeah. differently because, and you and Frank talked about this after game one, but you know uh, what was really exposed, and you know I think most of us had this understanding all season long, and then it really came to light in game one, but just how thin the Bucks are in the backcourt. So if you take Wesley Matthews out of that mix too, that 
that leaves him in a pretty vulnerable spot where, you know, you already hinted to, but Pat Connaughton playing more minutes in that game than Wesley Matthews as it is. And we saw, you know, the biggest thing about Eric Bledsoe being out is not so much that, you know, George Hill, I, I think 36 minutes is, is probably – what, eight or so minutes more than ideally you would really hope for from George Hill. It's not so much that's the problem as much as it's, you know, George Hill is no longer the third guy and the guy that's playing 25 to 30 minutes and you have to make Pat Connaughton that guy and Dante DiVincenzo that guy, um, that it's, it's the guys behind him that it becomes the issue with when we've seen the Bucks' lack of depth this season. So if, if Bud would have answered that differently and if we were looking at potentially game two without Eric Bledsoe, because I'm with you and based off of the way Bud you know, kind of answered that question, I would lean towards we probably won't see Eric Bledsoe either. Um, but if you would go into, the, into game two, which is an absolute must-win game, without those two, you're in pretty big trouble. No doubt. And I think when I look at the box score again, it, clearly the frustration around the rotation is purely based around that, that last lineup with Pat Connaughton in there. That didn't just, it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, Wesley Matthews, not only defensively is he a guy that you can say, you're on Jimmy Butler. This guy is absolutely smoking us right now. And there was plenty of opportunity. I mean, we're talking about five minutes. There was a million timeouts in those final five minutes. I mean, there was so much time to get him back into the game. But he's also been shooting the three really well. And if you're asking me who am I more confident shooting the three, Wes or Pat, then I'm going to say Wes. I mean, yeah. he's, he's done this his whole career. So it, it was certainly puzzling. Uh, and I, I don't know what to expect moving forward. I, I Look, I would imagine that Wesley Matthews is going to play those minutes in the future, but I guess I, I can't be certain of that. George Hill, you mentioned he's 36 minutes. So he only played more than 30 minutes once this season prior, and that was on opening night in Houston. So we're talking about last October. So he's played more than 30 minutes in a game once since last May, and he played 36. So it's been kind of interesting to me, and we discussed this on the podcast certainly through the, the season uh, hiatus, we asked the question, do we think the Bucks have enough off the bench? Because we always suspected that if you get one injury at a, at a bad time, and at the time we were actually discussing Eric Bledsoe with coronavirus. I mean, we were saying, yeah. what's this going to do to the Bucks? I think we got a glimpse last night of what it would do because I, I think the biggest problem when I look at the Bucks bench, all season long they've looked like a really deep team. They play deep rotation. They have contributors up and down the roster. But uh, you're going to get away with that against 25 of the 30 teams. You're just going to be able to beat them with your starters. That's just a fact because the Bucks' top end is very good. They don't have a bucket getter off the bench. And the concern is that you have to rely on one of George Hill normally off the bench, Pat Connaughton, Marvin Williams to get you points. And a lot of that is going to be coming from the three-point line. There's obviously a high variance there. And that's the concern for Milwaukee right now because uh, I think coming into the postseason, certainly towards the end of the NBA uh, regular season leading into the postponement, Dante DiVincenzo was looming as a huge X factor as a, guy, as a guy that wasn't there last season that you say, okay, this is a guy that can get you 10 points a night. And he was doing it with regularity before the season went down. He just hasn't been able to find anything in the bubble at all. I mean, he, he just has found no rhythm offensively. Defensive, defensively, he's been a little bit all over the shop. There's still time for him. It's his first postseason. Uh, he can certainly still have an impact. But the fact that the injury combined with the play of Dante DiVincenzo, it's left a huge hole, as you said, in that guard rotation. 
you know, I think a couple of points that you brought up when we talk about how deep the team is. Um, yeah, I mean, look no further than in the bubble where you saw, man, why is the basketball seemingly so good in this restart? And then you remember the eight teams that were not invited and taking them out of the mix. So you can get by and, you know, think about your typical schedule during a regular season where you'll catch, you know, of the teams that were invited to Disney, you'll catch maybe two of them over a 10 game span where it's not like the eight game schedule you played here in the restart where it's just loaded with better teams. So you can get by, on your depth in the regular season just because of the quality opponents you're facing, but other uh, also than uh, you brought it up too. Uh, you know, at the time, this, this team was relatively healthy throughout the season. You think back to their injuries when Chris Middleton missed some time early and uh, Eric Bledsoe as well. Dante DiVincenzo was playing very well. And, you know, think back to when Chris missed, what, uh, 10 days or so, two weeks. Dante played really well, and that was the stretch where Dante and Sterling, it started with the Magic game, uh, came on and both had big games. You were getting by because, you know, of your depth and of the quality of the opponent you were playing, but those guys that we just referenced were also playing very well. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for the Bucks, or not the biggest, but one of the biggest has been the inconsistency of, you know, not only Dante, but really most of this team outside of the three main guys in Giannis, Chris, and Brooke, the inconsistency you've gotten from this uh, entire roster here since they've uh, arrived in Orlando. So I think the key guys that you, you touched on, and Giannis obviously was a little bit down uh, in game one, and I do want to get to some of his numbers from game ones over the last four playoff series for the Bucks because I think there is some room for optimism there with him moving forward. That might shock some people. The guy's about to be a two-time MVP. You might feel optimistic that he might bounce back. But I, I think, you know, this is, again, where you lose Bledsoe because you mentioned Lopez, Middleton, and obviously Giannis. But having that fourth guy, and I, I said this, I think that it's got to the point where Bledsoe has been criminally underrated because everyone just thinks yeah. about the, the postseason. But what he does to this team defensively, the tempo of the office offense, the transition opportunities that they get. He's, he's really the only other huge transition threat that they've got. And I, I think that that was sort of very noticeable in this game as well. Once they, get a, they, once they did even get a, a transition opportunity, it was too easy to send literally three blokes to Giannis and say, well, okay, who else is going to beat us? We've got five guys back before your guys are up the floor. I've seen a few people mention the athleticism, and I think that's valid. I think there is a lack of athleticism on this team. Bledsoe changes that. So again, I don't think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about him playing in game two, but this is just me and you speculating here. I think as far as the defense go, this is a complete prediction from me. I think we're going to see a significant change with the way they defend the three-point line. I've seen some suggestions that that the, the Miami Heat shooters were causing havoc for the Bucks, and, and they will. I mean, their off-ball movement is great. We can speak about the pick-and-roll player, Goran Dragic. We can speak about Bam uh, Adebayo as a, as a distributor, as a passer all night long. We can talk about the dribble handoffs. But the Bucks, just to me, I mean, they didn't play the defense that they usually play. They were far more aggressive on the perimeter. They were far more attached to those shooters. And this, to me, was a very clear directive from Bud regarding the defense that they wanted to play. 31 three-point attempts. Now, I don't 100% this, I don't 100% trust this search that I did. I did it on NBA.com, and the, the numbers are, are kind of... I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I believe this, but it, it, it came up that there's only been one game 
where the opposition has shot fewer than 31 three-point attempts against the Bucks in the Bud era, a regular season or postseason. Um, you know, I would have to go back and check that to, to 100%. Make it the, seems right. It sounds right, doesn't it? It absolutely yeah. sounds right. So if you look at the averages just in 2019-20, uh, the Bucks were number one for three-point attempts against. Teams were getting up 39.3 per game. That went up to 45.3 in the final eight games in the bubble. So what do you take away from this number when you see that the Heat only attempted 31, but their points in the paint were up and they obviously spent a lot of time at the free throw line? To me, this was more about the Bucks. It, it was very weird for you know, all the talk of, and it's, you know, it's not inaccurate, but you know, um, Bud doesn't really make adjustments and you go with what got you there. Um, especially that first quarter, but as the game progressed, it was just strange watching this because look, if you were a skeptic of the Bucks' defensive model, what the Heat did was basically put a mirror in front of the Bucks and proved of why this defense is effective, that the Heat did the exact same thing where they told the Bucks, go ahead and, you know, settle for jump shots. And I, I hate to even say settle for because the Bucks were hitting those shots at a 60% clip for most of the game. So we saw the effectiveness, you know, we've seen it all season, but some of us ignored it and pointed to the reasons why it'll fail in the postseason. But here in this one game, you saw the heat use it against the Bucks, and the heat were victorious, basically saying, go ahead and take the difficult shots. Even though you hit 50% and 40% of your threes, we took away the easiest points on the floor and we kept you off the free throw line and really it helped with the free throw misses too. But you saw why this defense has been so effective all season long that it was almost like watching a bizarro version of the bucks where this team was taking threes. They weren't getting points in the paint and defensively, you know, for what they did and you pointed to it as well, I would assume that's going to be the biggest change too. that, you know, going back and watching that game again, you noticed, um, you know, a couple of times it really stood out where guys, were just clinging to their their man on the perimeter rather than collapsing into the lane like we've seen so many times. And, you know, that's another reason why I think the Heat really dominated the rebounding category, which is another one you'll point to with the points in the paint and rebounding is, is categories the Bucks usually dominate, and they were the ones that were throttled by the Heat in those categories. So you just don't often see the Bucks defense in scramble mode. And I thought we saw this a lot in game one. And it just really stuck out to me. And it, at times, I was like, wow, this, this defense is doing a great job. But the longer the game went, and perhaps it is a fatigue thing. Again, you're talking about some of these guys that haven't played these minutes. Now, you can, you can criticize whoever you want for that. If that's something that frustrates you, that perhaps they aren't used to playing uh, that much. But certainly chasing guys off the free throw line, getting out of position, left them vulnerable for uh, guys cooking in the mid-range, guys getting to the basket guys forcing late help from the Bucks, which then resulted in foul trouble. So uh, I think that, that one of the challenges for Milwaukee will be Goran Dragic poses a threat behind the three-point line. There's no doubt about that. But I think he's even more of a threat once you let him get downhill, start to get into that mid-range. He'll, he's fine shooting floaters. He loves that. He's crafty. He, the fact he's a lefty sort of throws people off. He can also... Um, he also creates and with those dump-off passes. He's just, a, he's just a really crafty guy. So I think that if you can keep him perimeter-based more so than getting into the paint, yeah, you might have to live with the Heat shooting a few more threes. We've seen and we've proven over the course of the season that the Bucks, yeah, they lose some games where teams will go off for 18, 23s, but they also win a bunch of those games if they shut down the paint. 
they did they didn't do that yesterday and I, I think that that's the identity the Bucks have to get back uh, tomorrow and I, I think that Duncan Robinson obviously is a threat I mean the fact he only got four shots up tells the story yeah. and I thought they did a great job on him and he might be the guy out of all that you still are concerned about but I look at the other guys I mean Butler Jay Crowder you know Tyler Hero yeah they can shoot it yes they are going to shoot it and let it fly but I don't know. I mean, you you, you got to you, you have to stop something, and and I think that it's more important for this Bucks team to close down the paint than uh, go ballistic on the three point line. Yeah, and you know, I, I think what makes the loss in Game One even more difficult to swallow is you know if I had told you before that game, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson would go combined four of ten on threes yeah. and. Uh, they went, what, 4 of 15 overall from the field, that you would shoot 50%, you would shoot 40% on threes, and all these things would seemingly align for the Bucks the first half that Brooke and Chris had. And, oh, by the way, the Bucks lose. You know, we would all be stunned. So I think, you know, that's the biggest difference when we look back at some of these game one losses and Giannis, you know, maybe this is just the Bucks under Bud where they dropped game one of a playoff series and Giannis said, hey, you know, we've been in this spot before, we're used to it. But what stands out the most about this, I'm not saying that I've lost any confidence in them in this series, but I think the biggest difference between this and previous series is, you know, people want to draw comparisons to what the Celtics did last year, but the Celtics thoroughly outplayed them and the Bucs played really bad in game one of that series. You can't say they played really bad in this one where did they play their best or anywhere near it? No, but offensively they played great defensively and rebound and everything else they did not and it wasn't like the heat played you know like we saw from the magic in game one where they played tremendous and the bucks did not so that's the biggest difference and that's if you were the skeptic that's what you would point to in that you know this is a little different where it wasn't one game uh, where the opponent just played great and the bucks played terribly both of these teams played okay and the heat won it so um, like I said, it, I, I still am not overall pessimistic, pessimistic about the series, but that would be the one thing that would give you some pause. Well, I tell you what, Justin, we've spoke about the rotation. We've spoke about guys playing more minutes than they are used to. They might be lacking a little bit of energy, certainly something to be concerned about, but perhaps they need to get stuck into the built bars because we know built bar is new and improved. They have 18 amazing flavors, six of them new, including cookies and cream, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Of course, they have the 12 original flavors that include raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, among others, built bars. Uh, fine for athletes. Fine for everyday people. Certainly fine for athletes because you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. Great for those on the keto diet. And uh, as always, we've always got a great deal for you guys. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked on and you'll get $10 off your next order. That's promo code locked on for $10 off at builtbar.com. And of course, the free cooler is still there while supplies last. Not going to be there for long. So get onto builtbar.com, purchase your order with the promo code locked on and take advantage of that sweet deal. I think the, the one point that you touched on specifically when we're talking about correctable things and uh, I know we spoke about the free throw shooting a lot on yesterday's pod that's not necessarily correctable so what what is correctable and it's the rebounding and you touched on that particularly on the offensive glass the Bucks were minus five 
in offensive rebounds, but they were minus nine in second chance points, 13 points to four. So that really hurt. Uh, and, I think they updated 15 to four. Is it? There we go. Well, yeah. there you go. I mean, and, and it, it felt like a lot. I mean, it felt yeah, like, it felt like more than that. Well, if it's 15 to four, I mean, that's an 11 point differential. It was 11 point game. Yeah. So yeah. You, you can point to all the numbers, but that is one that is correctable. Be more desperate. I thought Miami were more desperate than the Bucks yesterday. I think, again, you spoke about uh, you know, the Boston series, the Toronto series. I think, again, if you're a, if you're a Bucks fan, that the reason why there would be genuine concern is because Miami are built defensively with Butler, Crowder, Adebayo, Iguodala. They have four guys that they can throw at Giannis, and that's why this team is scary. So do I think that the series is over? No. But do they have a, a number of guys that they can throw at Giannis similar to, to what Toronto did last year? Yeah, they do. And that's why they're scary. And that's why potentially we've spoke about this. And we, I've, we've spoke about the Celtics, my thoughts on the Celtics. I don't think they're a good matchup. Um, I don't think the Bucs are a good matchup for the Celtics. I think Milwaukee can roll that, through that series. I don't think Toronto has offensively enough firepower to stick with Milwaukee. They're now down two zip in that series. Yeah. So I think that this, is the, this feels like the conference finals. And you're playing a really damn good team in the second round. And it's going to be a challenge. But the game one thing is real. Because you think even to game one against Toronto, the Bucs probably shouldn't have won that game. No, they weren't yeah. good. They were not good. And they've lost to Boston in game one. That Toronto game, the Orlando game, they lost. And now they've lost to Miami. I'm not counting Detroit because that's not even a playoff series. But let's look at Giannis because I think one of the underrated things about him is his ability to adjust, his ability to look at coverages and say, okay, this is how I can manipulate this defense. This is how I can get on top. So in those, ga- in those four game ones, Giannis has averaged 26 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. Great numbers. Sure. Very good numbers. And even yesterday, 18, 10, and 9. Not the worst. But he's 32 for 74 from the field, 43% field goal percentage in game ones. The rest of the games in all those series, he's averaging 27, 13, and 5. So almost identical numbers. The big difference is he's 125 for 229 from the field, 54% field goal percentage. He's been able to figure teams out. And uh, we know that against Toronto, his efficiency wasn't all the way there. But outside of game one, even, you look at his numbers, he, they, they were improved as the season went on. Do you, um, do you have the turnover numbers or the average turnovers in game one versus the rest of the series too? Because it, it, it feels like that is another category that's up there. And to the point you just made, as the series progresses, and we heard him talk about this a lot against Boston last year, and he said it at the uh, end of season press conference, after they had lost to the Raptors, I remember um, where he had said it was, um, I think he said it was game five or so that he started to really figure out, okay, this is how they're attacking me. And this is when they bring Gasol down and I see the double team, this is what I need to do. And I think the words he used were um, a light bulb went off or it clicked for him on how to attack that defense, unfortunately too late. But it just seems like, you know, to that point you brought up that as the series progresses, that's when we see him figure out everything and not just the efficiency, but the turnovers get cut down as well. And the first time he sees that look is when we run into that issue where, you know, in game one, he had what, I think six turnovers. So I would be curious to see what that figure is too. So I just quickly looked it up and I don't have uh, the other game, but in game ones against Boston in game one, he only had two, but against Toronto, uh, he had five in game one. Against Orlando this year, he had five in game one. 
And then uh, against Miami yesterday, he had six. So 18 across the four game ones. And uh, we did see against Orlando, his turnovers significantly dropped uh, throughout the series. And uh, the same could also be said for Toronto. He had a game uh, where the turnovers were well down. And Boston, he clearly figured those guys out as that series went on as well with Al Horford. So it's just something to watch. Now, Miami, similar to Toronto, really, really disciplined. Uh, We know what they're going to do to try and stop him. I I, I think that those numbers that we've seen here gives you some optimism uh, that Giannis is going to be able to work his way through this. And I would say uh, in the post-game yesterday, and this did stick with me, from the practice after that Boston series last year, because I know now it's easy to look back at that series and say, well, yeah, the Bucs ended up crushing them. It was totally fine. But this was the same reaction that we've seen in the last 24 hours that we had after game one. I mean, the Bucs, the the doors were blown off them. They lost by 20 points and there was a lot of panic and there was a lot of, well, we can't beat the Celtics now. I mean, they beat us last year. We're going down the same path. And I remember going to practice after game one and seeing the guys laughing and smiling and very relaxed and feeling good. And I was like, wow, it's kind of impressive at how relaxed these guys are. I've kind of got the same sense from them post-game yesterday and even from today's media availability. They seem very calm. Yeah, and, you know, that's just always been the mood around the team. And, look, I know this is easy to say now, and people probably will not believe me, but I was 100% confident they were going to beat the Celtics last year going into the series. And even after game one, my confidence didn't waver. That we went on the record on the pregame show before game one and gave our predictions. I was the only one that said the Bucs were going to win the series in five. And even before game two, we revisited. And Dennis and Ted both asked, do you want to change? And I said, no, I still (laughs) think they're going to win this series in five. And it goes back to what I said earlier, where I think the biggest difference is, number one, I was much more confident about that series going in than I was about uh, this Heat series. I think the Heat present different challenges than the Celtics did last year. And as we saw, the Celtics were basically unraveling at the time of that series. Um, but also, like, like we said earlier, it was just worst-case scenario, best-case scenario, where the Celtics played great, the Bucks played terribly, And that's the reason to be discouraged if you are in that category after game one against the Heat was that that wasn't the case where it wasn't, man, you know, revisiting Orlando and just our our biggest adjustment is to play better. I think the biggest adjustment for the Bucs is to get Eric Bledsoe on the floor. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't know when or if that's going to be the case. Like I said, I still think the Bucs are going to win this series what game one showed you is if you thought it was going to go six, maybe it goes seven. Now I'm still confident they're going to win. Um, but I don't have a hundred percent confidence like I did against Boston for various reasons. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. And, uh, as many Bucks fans pointed out, if you're going to win in six, you've got to lose two games. That's just, that's, uh, you know, I'm no math genius, but, uh, that checks out to me. So uh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Let, let me ask you this, too, because it was something we talked about on my show uh, after game one. The fact that we saw Frank Mason for two minutes, and then I, I think he was set to check in in the second half, but yeah. never did, it looked like. He was at the scorer's table. But the fact that we saw him early, I kind of wondered, okay, is this the, the butt adjustment that none of us saw coming that, hey, Frank Mason's going to play knowing we need a capable ball handler? And ultimately, we didn't see that. This is the hill that I'll die on in this series. 
if there was a series where you would play him and I think he fits for the opponent, for the matchup, and for the mentality you need, I'm going to be curious to see if we see Sterling Brown in this series. Interesting, yeah. This was a question I actually I wasn't going to get to, because, I, but I did have it noted down. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, as I sort of mentioned, I mean, there's not room for both of them. And when we talk about the rotation, we talk about the fact that at some point, something's going to have to happen. Now, what are the wild cards that the Bucks have? Now, they don't have a lot. And I, I think that that's what we're very clear on. It doesn't look like a good matchup for Robin Lopez at all. Uh, Ersan Elisova, I can't see him playing unless it gets absolutely desperate. So I, I don't think that it will be game two. But if the Bucks lose the second game... and they, all bets are off, yeah. I, I think all bets are off. Yeah, I think you play Sterling Brown. I, I don't know, maybe a, a bit more physicality there. Uh, the, the problem is that he hasn't impressed either in his, his right. time in there. So the Bucks I mean, are just... They're struggling the, to find something, aren't they? The, the problem there being for as much as you could say, well, you know, other than Wes, maybe Sterling Brown is the guy most equipped to throw mm-hmm. on Jimmy Butler. But the problem is on the other side of the floor. And, you know, what we've seen from Sterling, um, you know, last year it seemed like the corner three was a lot more reliable than it is this year that, you know, based off what we've seen during this reset and really for most of the second half of the season, you would almost be punting on the offensive side. Physicality wise. I mean, there's never any doubts about Sterling. you know, he's going to be up for, for that challenge and Miami with the bodies they have are as physical as any team, particularly in the East, perhaps in the, in the whole damn league. So uh, they are a tough matchup from that regard. Uh, Justin, you'll be back at Fiserv tomorrow. Uh, same tip off time. We're looking at five thirty central. Yeah. For uh, the next two. Then a day game. Uh, we're all looking forward to the weekend day game on uh, for game four. That'll be very exciting. But make sure uh, if you, like like a lot of people, I always bring this up. Anytime I say I'm listening to, to the national broadcast, which by the way, sometimes I don't have a choice over here in Australia. Everyone's like, put Fox Sports Wisconsin on. How can you not listen to Marcus? And I'm like, well, I get it. Marcus and Jim and Zora, they're the best in the business. Steve Novak, those guys are the best, but they're not there anymore. So if you don't like the national broadcast, uh, I don't know who's calling the game tomorrow, but definitely uh, chuck it over to Ted, Justin, Zora, and they will get you through. Justin, appreciate you jumping on. Hopefully next time we speak, uh, the Bucks are in a, a bit more of a positive position in this series. Well, hopefully they're, yeah, and or hopefully we just have the chance to speak again because who knows? Like, <laughs> like we said, all bets are off if you go down 0-2. No doubt about it. So the Bucks have avoided that so far. In the Bud era going down 2-0. They'll look to do that tomorrow, 5.30 Central, as I said. Uh, make sure you listen to this podcast, but then keep an eye out post-game uh, tomorrow. Of course, we will have the wrap-up from Game 2. Until then, uh, stay safe out there. We'll speak to you guys then. 